How are you doing, Arizona Nation? Welcome back to another edition of the Arizona Podcast. Hello, Tate at quarterback. Please tackle 14 for Arizona. That's the difference in the football game. He was amazing. Tate is doing things that I see Reggie Bush didn't do, Matt Leiner didn't do, Marcus Mariota didn't do, Marcus Allen didn't do. He's won four straight Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week awards. an absolute strike. A pass that couldn't have been thrown any more accurately from Tate. Extra you guys kind of have to do this week uh, to make sure you can contain him on Saturday. Great. Arizona, 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 Arizona. I'm your host, Dax Trujillo. Uh, some housekeeping information. Uh, unfortunately, I was out of town the last two weeks. Uh, our apologies for no podcast in that time frame. Uh, shouldn't be an issue for the remainder of the football season. We're now on iTunes. Remember, when you search for us, we're the Era Zona Podcast. That's Echo Romeo Alpha Zona Podcast when you enter your search. We're, getting the, we're in the process of getting Google Play up and running, so it should be any time now. Remember to follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas and Brandon Combs at Uve Bear Down 07. Check out ArizonaDesertSwarm.com for all the latest Wildcat news and articles from both Gabe and Brandon and the rest of the Swarm crew. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's been too long. Hey, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, everyone? All right, Gabe. What have you been doing the last two weeks? Man, it's been a long two weeks, but I was just busy with work. I'm an accountant. We're finishing up quarter end for some stuff. I've been trying to play a lot of Fortnite. Uh, <laughs> still haven't got a solo win. Watch Last Chance U season three. Trying to finish up Ozark. I've been keeping busy. I saw your last. I, lo- I saw your last chance tweets. Hey, um, did who put out that tweet about uh, Fortnite? That um, comment that was um, after the um, after the off season. They were going to see who who was working out in the off season and who was playing too much Fortnite. Do you guys remember who did that? No, I, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, one of the college guys put that. He goes, "Well, we're going to find out as soon as spring, as soon as uh, fall ball starts, that um, who's been playing too much Fortnite and who's been working." <laughs> I think it's yeah, sounds, said Fortnite. sounds about right. Uh, how about you, Brandon? Man, pretty much the same thing. I've been busy with work and everything, and uh, you know, taking care of the family. Um, they usually keep me pretty busy, but it's a good thing. And then, uh, kind of like Gabe, uh, I just kind of started. Uh, actually, I never watched uh, Last Chance U until uh, well, about two weeks ago, and uh, just kind of got hooked and started binging it. So, you know, then playing some Star Wars Battlefront Two, hitting the gym, you know, keeping track of uh, recruiting, and you know, trying to. Trying to talk to many of these uh, these kids as I can. 
Yeah. Well, we're going to get to your article with your, your most recent interview for sure. Um, well, gentlemen, Urban Myers uh, has been in the news recently. Um, he's currently on administrative leave from Ohio State, or excuse me, the Ohio State. For uh, listeners who are not aware, he it was recently reported by Brett McMurphy uh, from his Facebook page, of all places, that Urban was aware of domestic violence involving his assistant coach, uh, Zach Smith, despite uh, denying this knowledge at the recent uh, uh, Big Ten Media Days. Brandon, on a scale of one to amazeballs, how awesome is it that a fired ESPN reporter broke the story from his Facebook page while the worldwide leader, parenthetically heavy sarcasm, was busy killing its ratings with more woke center productions? Oh man, you know, I think it's just kind of I think it's kind of funny because uh, they it just shows the kind of good. Uh, journalism really that McMurphy actually does because if you actually read his article it was very well well written and you could tell he really did his research uh so I would say Amazeballs as pretty uh you know as uh, awesome as it was um man though that like you kind of mentioned it, that whole Urban Meyer you know comment that came out today and then you know Zach Smith's interview it was just uh, just a whole lot of strange um Either way, uh, Urban, Urban, in my opinion, screwed. Like he, he, you know, he said in his in his statement, he was aware of all this domestic violence that his assistant was doing. And then during the Big Ten media days, like people asked him, I think it was like you know eight times, you know, hey, did you know anything about this? And And again, he just kept saying the same thing, like, no, I didn't know anything about it. If if I did, I would have done something about it. Yada yada yada. And then you know, just just. Just a weird, just weird situation, and and seeing the just the reactions from Ohio State fans is kind of disturbing in the sense that they're just like, oh no, he didn't do anything. Well, no, he really did. He did something wrong. Um, so I'm I'm really interested to see how this all falls out. Yeah. You know, anything that'll take the attention off the U of A with all the stuff we've had lately, so we'll take it. Um, I don't see how any large organization could possibly allow that to slide, but they're sure going to push it as far as they possibly think they can, given his success record at Ohio State. So it will be very interesting development. So to top it off, our buddy Dickie V got on Twitter and threw out, as for Urban Meyer, let all the facts come out before everyone rushes to judgment. Shout out to Wildcat Twitter Nation for immediately truck, uh, truck stomping this buffoonery. Gabe, on a scale of, to, of one to mother-in-law, how much do you despise Dickie V? <laughs> Uh, you know, when you're a kid, or at least when I was a kid, you enjoy Dickie V because you just think he's funny and, and he's got these one-liners. But, like, now, I mean, maybe it's just because he's getting older. I don't know. But this guy's just spewing stuff and right and just, I, I don't know. He's just a crazy old man. And I don't know, man. He's He's got Twitter at his fingertips. So, I don't know. There's not much you can do there. But... Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it is pretty frustrating, I must say. Yeah. Um, it, to Dick's credit, he uh, he did basically say he he re- he apologized essentially for for jumping to conclusions with Mil- Miller, which is a lot more than uh, Seth Green and um, Jay Billis have bothered to do. So uh, it was interesting. Is- in that, yeah, it was interesting in that whole experience how 
Dickie V got on, uh, whether, whether it was Twitter or Instagram or whatever, basically posted a video, you know, asking Miller to sue him. And then Billis went around talking about the, the level of uh, legal precedence you'd have to, to launch a lawsuit for, for libel and, um, or slander or whichever the heck one it is. I'm not a lawyer, but, um, but that sort of bravado and brazenness of the organization, I think just reflects overall of how the whole thing's run. And it's, it's kind of discouraging because, uh, ESPN slash ABC slash Disney just bought all those, that huge Fox, um, conglomerate and, and really has developed a pretty tight stranglehold over, uh, you know, media and entertainment and specifically sports, uh, entertainment in general. So a little concerning. Yeah, I would, I would agree. But man, I gotta say like, I can't believe he just was like, I don't understand how someone can just be like, you know, throw one coach under the bus, but then turn around. And when it comes to a completely different university, that's like, limelight type university all of a sudden just be like oh well let's just wait till all the facts come out so it's kind of <laughs> yeah he did the same thing with paterno when paterno was on all that heat before he got fired you know oh dear so, god yes yeah so interesting stuff well let's move on to some football arizona desert swarm just posted uh your your guys's season prediction along with a panel of seven guys uh let's just take a second and review uh the las vegas season wins for the pac-12 they had um Washington at 10.5, Oregon at 8.5, USC at 8.5, Stanford at 8, Arizona at 7.5, Utah at 7, Washington State at 6.5, California at 5.5, Arizona State at 5, yay, UCLA at 5, Colorado at 4, and Oregon State at 2. Two and a half, excuse me. And then for the odds to win the Pac-12 champion, they have Washington going off at five to six, USC to four to one, Stanford to seven to one, Oregon at nine to one, Utah at sixteen to one, and Arizona at twenty to one. What I'd point out about those Pac-12 championship odds is that it really is stacked towards Washington, um, who the Las Vegas odd makers are all but but calling UW as the champs. So the USC's, the Oregon, excuse me, the UC's, USC's, the Utah's, and the Arizona are already going to take a hit because they figure whoever takes the North is going to win it. Gabe, I noticed in the article you were sticking to your guns from your earlier predictions. Uh, tell the listeners why you think the Cats are going to finish at 9-3. and three. It starts with Khalil Tate. He's obviously just the guy for Arizona. Um, and, I mean, really, he single-handedly carried Arizona to seven wins last season and saved Rich's job for the most part. I feel like if he doesn't play or if he doesn't perform, Rich gets canned at some point, uh, or at least differently than the way he did uh, this past January. So you have Khalil Tate coming back, and he's a Heisman hopeful. Hopefully he can at least get to New York this time. Um, the offensive line is, is kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm hesitant on that, but aside from that, you have uh, a stable of running backs. Not quite. Last year, Zach Green was a really pleasant surprise um, just to have him as that third guy, but you have J.J. Til- Til- J- Taylor. You're hoping Nathan Tilford can kind of break out this year. Gary Brightwell made some noise last year, and uh, at least in the fall, and can hopefully get in there, too. Uh, but then the defense, you have three freshman All-American linebackers coming back. Uh, your defensive line is probably the best it's ever looked and the deepest it's ever looked uh, in the past six years, uh, probably going back into the Stoops years. 
Uh, and then you got two lockdown corners, Lorenzo Burns and Jace Whitaker, and then uh, a very deep group at safety um, that's really interchangeable, probably the strongest group overall. And so I think you line up just all of the talent. Uh, it was a young group last year. They're pretty much all coming back. Uh, and then what you have with the Pac-12 and the landscape here this year, the South looks pretty open. Like you said, the North, it's, it's pretty stiff. And you have Washington up there at the top, and that's a team to beat. But the South looks pretty open. And then they've missed Stanford and Washington uh, in their rotation. So things look pretty good for Arizona. And nine, based on the schedule that they have and the talent that they have, I feel pretty good about it. Now, Brandon, I really want you to work on your optimism for the season. People are not going to want to listen to us talk about how down we are on the team's chances. Tell us why you think the Cats are going to end up at a lowly 10-2. and two. <laughs> Well, Kind of like Gabe said, there's a lot to like about what's coming back with the defense. Really, the biggest question mark would be the uh, depth at cornerback. So, I mean, you have, uh, you know, Whitaker and Burns coming back, solid corners. Uh, Sammy Morrison will be back. He has some Pac-12 game experience. You're just wondering how much he can hold up uh, durability-wise. And then you have Malcolm Holland, who's also, you know, um, you know, has some Pac-12 experience. Uh, but... Uh, you know, adding that grad transfer um, from UNLV, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, um, but that was a good move. But, um, you know, the defensive line, you know, like you look at the roster and there's like four or five, maybe even six guys that have, you know, like 300 pounds or more. And I cannot remember the last time I've seen an Arizona defensive line look like that, you know. 6'3 to 6'5 range, 300 plus pounds. That's that's a good size, and all these guys can rotate in and out. So you got you know keep keep everyone fresh, and then let's not forget the linebackers, Schooler, Fields, Wilburn or Wilborn rather. They're all just you know freshman All Americans coming back, uh, and they should be able to build on uh, the success the success they have last year. Uh, the offense pretty much uh, explosive. I expect the same thing. Um, Kind of like Gabe alluded to, the the offensive line is going to be a little bit of a question mark, uh, but I think that there's the talent is there, uh, and this fall camp is actually going to be pretty important because they need to learn to gel and play together, uh, and if they can master that during fall camp, then the, the Cats are in a really good spot. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all the stuff you guys are breaking down, and, and I, th I think um, I agree with all the concerns you guys have echoed. The, the cornerback's relatively new development was with the things you mentioned, and we'll touch on those. But the offensive line, I think, really is a big question mark because um, you know Tate's, if for Tate to deliver, he's going to need to have some some blocking up front. So there were seven uh, panel members, and they predicted the losses um, at uh, – SC, uh, seven out of seven panel members. Uh, Utah, four panel members predicted a loss. UCLA, four panel members you predicted a loss. Oregon, two, lo two losses, and Houston, two losses. I think it's pretty obvious USC has a better talent, but the Cats are going to get them at home. It's going to be the second conference game for the, the Cats. Um, they've got the new quarterback, and it's going to be the fifth game he's ever played at the D1 Pac uh, Power 5 level when he arrives in Tucson. Gabe, all seven members of the panel predicted this as a loss. Is there truly no hope for victory in this game? Uh, you know, I for me, I just like to stay on the – well, I mean, I did predict nine wins. But for this, I, I, I was on the more cautious side. 
But I think that this is still a game that Arizona wins. I'm just not as confident, as, or I guess I don't feel as good, and I kind of you, you you're not okay with it. It's just more understandable if you lose to USC uh, because of the talent difference. Uh, but then, like you said, JT Daniels, five-star kid, reclassified. He's probably going to be the starting quarterback. Maybe, maybe not. But, yeah, early in the season, you're getting him. They don't have a lot on offense returning. I don't recall what their defensive situation is. But for me, what I really like, at least for Arizona's chances, is the fact that USC already has to go on the road to play Stanford, I think, in week two. And then in week three, they go to Texas. And then they get Washington State the week before, I believe. I might be wrong, but I, no, you, yeah, I you looked got at this right. yesterday. Yeah, okay, cool. So I like the schedule leading into that Arizona game. You got two big road games, and then Washington State, they're kind of figuring out their own quarterback situation probably at that point still. But I think it, it lines up well for Arizona, and you get USC at home. Arizona, at least under Rich Rudd, usually played USC tough under Sumlin, and you got a couple of games to kind of get everything together, get all your schemes and your guys together. BYU and Houston will be a pretty good eyeball test for them. And then yeah, Oregon State uh, to open up Pac-12 too. So I think it's a good spot schedule-wise. And I, I don't, I'm not ruling out a win completely. I think it is a, a winnable game. And I'm not a huge believer in USC year-to-year. It's just kind of like... They're just kind of the guys with the most talent and kind of projected to win the Pac-12 South every year. And, you know, somehow it's been a different team almost every single year. So I'm not ruling it out. But for me, I think that's just kind of if there's one game where I'm going to pick them to lose, I I guess it's going to be that one. Brandon, if the Cats can pull off the SCW at home, how huge is that for the Cats' chances to, to play in Santa Clara on November 30th? I actually think it's a pretty, you know, it would definitely play uh, a big part in their chances to play in Santa Clara. They um, kind of like Gabe, I believe that's a very winnable game. Um, it's really all going to come down to how uh, how the Cats can control their emotions during the game, kind of like during the Oregon game last year. Um, yeah, the emotions got a little bit out of control, and it just it just fell apart. Um, but uh, with with USC, even last year they played him tough. They played him strong, but then Khalil kind of just, you know, he really wants to beat USC. Uh, you can see it, so he just kind of forced a couple things at the end of the game that kind of hurt the Cats' chances. Uh, not to mention the horrible punting. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if the Cats win, uh, this is one one roadblock on their way to uh, the Pac-12 championship game out of the way. Uh, the second one, in my opinion, would be Utah. So. Um, that one, in my opinion, is a little bit more difficult to win, but uh, definitely uh, SC, you know, having them in Tucson, having them, you know, huge question marks all over that team. Uh, you know, Cats bringing a lot back, a lot of talent back, a lot of experience uh, back. I think it's a very winnable game for the Cats. Yeah, well, let's dovetail off of that. Um, you know, you mentioned the Utah game and four of the panel members picked Utah as a loss. You know, I know Utah's got a traditionally tough defense, and, and they recruit well on the defensive line. 
But that offense is just hot garbage. And you know, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in them. And, and you know, listen, it's it's they're overdue. It's their turn to win the Pac-12 South. I can see how people would would see that all dovetailing together. But you know, until they do it, I'm not sure I'm ready to believe in it. But uh, obviously, a lot of people were. Um, I would call that a, a reasonable chance to win uh, for the Cats. Uh, you know, traditionally we've done really well against Utah, and so I don't see why we couldn't do so this year. Even though traveling to Salt Lake is is relatively tough. Um, do you guys do you guys agree with that, or do you have strong feelings that that's the most likely loss on the schedule besides SC? Uh, for me, I I think that's probably the next likely loss. But then again, I think when you look at all twelve games, like every game for. Arizona is winnable. Obviously, they're not going to win them all, or I don't know, maybe they go 14 and 0, but, uh, you know, they're all very winnable between USC, Utah, and Oregon, who I have as my three losses. I could still see them winning at least one of them, maybe two of them, and then, you know, you hope that they don't drop a game to Cal or somebody or ASU. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the interesting part about the Pac 12 this year, but. Utah, in at least those Friday night games, those games terrify me for any road game. Um, and then just playing up in Salt Lake, I, I don't know. That's just, There's something about traveling there that always kind of worries me. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like Utah has also been one of the most consistent teams over the last six years, even though they've never actually won the South. I mean, they're still always pretty relevant. You know, they, they can – sneak up for a good win here or there. So I think that's kind of my thing with Utah right now. But, yeah, the offense, is, I mean, they could probably score like 13 points a game. and I mean, yeah, it could get nasty. But, I mean, I, I think highly of – well, maybe not highly, but I think <laughs> Kyle Whittingham is a, is a good coach there. And I think he's probably one of the best developers in terms of talent at Utah. Uh, always sending guys to the guys to the league, and I don't know. I, I just kind of worry about Utah every now and then. And I think this is a year where it just kind of worries me a little bit. Let me uh, let me throw out my hot take on Utah. I think, and this is gonna like light my Twitter feed up. I'm sure because the Utah fans <clears throat> are nasty as all get out. I, I think yep. it's the dirtiest team in the league. I, every freaking game with those guys one of our guys get ear holed and, and knocked out and it's a consistent trend with them I, I i think winningham's i think he's got a nasty streak and i and i don't mean like in a good you know give him what four way i i mean i think he he coaches him up to take headshots but that's just my take on that guy we get a head pop every single time with those guys and and it causes problems um brandon the next number four loss uh pick team from the seven uh, panel members was UCLA. Now listen, Vegas doesn't have UCLA uh, exactly as a hot commodity. Jim Mora is setting all-time records uh, with uh, you know the ability to find the, the floor on talent. And uh, obviously Chip Kelly takes over and uh, you know Hope Springs eternal. But everybody's pretty high on UCLA except Vegas. What do you get what do you make of that, Brandon? Yeah, I'm, I'm not high on UCLA either. The reason people think UCLA would beat Arizona is, one, it's in Westwood, two, Chip Kelly's there. Um, you know, they uh, UCLA is probably one of the most underachieving football teams I think I've ever seen besides USC. 
And uh, with the amount of players that they get and the type of player, or sorry, not just amount, but the type of players that they get and quality that they get, you would think that they would, I don't know, win more. But um, yeah, I think that the hype, quote unquote, is definitely coming just from the fact that Chip Kelly is the head coach there. And, um, and, you know, I think people think that just because we're traveling in into Pasadena that we're going to, we're going to lose. I, I don't see that happening. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the, uh, was a left tackle, um, for the Bruins has some kind of flashbacks to Tucson where Kylan Wilborn absolutely destroyed them and, uh, and sacked Josh Rosen four times. So, um, you know, he might cower in fear, but, uh, I, I expect kind of like the same type of game. Arizona's Arizona is going to win. I, I have no doubts about that one. Awesome. Yeah, Pac-12 Networks is showing all the the game, the 60-minute games from the entire season right now, so you can pull those up on demand. And I watched that game the other day, and, and Josh Rosen just looked like he was ready to hit the showers as fast as he could in that game. And to your <laughs> point about UCLA winning, I, you'd expect them to win more than half their games, but they certainly haven't. Uh, just to touch back on Brandon's point about um, Khalil Tate being a Heisman front runner, I pulled up the odds. And so it's uh, Tagovailoa at plus 700, uh, Love at plus 700, uh, Taylor at Wisconsin plus 800 and then there's a big clump of guys at uh, plus 1500 and Khalil Tate's in there so there's a there's a multiplayer uh, tied for ninth for the remaining guys there so uh, definitely right there in in the pack for the opportunity to um, win the Heisman I don't know I just think on the west coast you know Stanford will likely have the runner-up again, as, as they typically do. Uh, you're just not going to get enough exposure for the, the majority of the voters out here. Um, Brandon, I really enjoyed your article on, uh, what is it, Samote Peppa? Yep. All right. Uh, as we discussed in our last podcast, the loss of Adam Plant um, to academic issues really hurt our D-line depth. Uh, but there's plenty of time to add some key recruits to the class. Uh, tell us about the Bingham High defensive lineman from Utah. Um, so, uh, Peppa is probably, man, he's kind of tied up like with, uh, with, uh, Nestier Sims from desert edge and Goodyear as like my favorite defensive tackle prospect in the class that Arizona's offered. Um, he, he's just a big physical, just nasty in a good way, uh, uh, defensive player. Um, he's really, really strong. Uh, and he uses that strength in high in, you know, at the high school level to like, just, absolutely punish and own the offensive line. He, um, he does need to work on his pad level. Um, and, and, and talking to him, he was actually a very, very mature, um, good head on his shoulders. He actually realized some of the um, things that he needs to work on. And, you know, I asked him if he had been in any camps, he's like, nah, I haven't been in camps. I'm not worried about that. My, my goal is to get better and to help my team get better so we can, you know, win this season. So I actually like that type of mentality. Um, He's not worried about getting recruiting exposure, you know. Uh, a couple of the uh, posters on uh, AZ Desert Swarm noted that he's going to be, you know, they think he's going to Utah, and I can't necessarily disagree with them. Um, I would definitely say that Utah is out front, but there is definitely an interest level in Arizona and uh, Coach Iona. Um, you know, he and he and Coach Iona talk. Uh, so the door's not completely closed on the Wildcats. Um, he's not sure who, you know. He's not sure or doesn't have any dates set up for visits, 
but he he expressed interest in visiting Arizona in the future. So um, if he does, I'm interested to see what the Cats will do. Uh, just depending on the scholarships and the distribution and everything, it's possible they could take two defensive tackles. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but that that's just going to be the big thing. I, I don't think that uh, Coach Iona would continue to recruit him if they weren't going to take him, you know, and, um, you know, you talk about, you know, you talk about uh, Nasir Sims, a kind of an example, the cats uh, sent out an official offer letter to him that he tweeted out. And again, that tells me that there's at least looking that they're at least looking for um, one more defensive tackle because the guys that get, their official offers usually are the the recruits that the program is you know serious about and seriously recruiting and, and seriously wants. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say like paid the closest attention to this, but this is not someone to ignore. This is definitely a recruitment to at least keep an eye out on, um, especially if he takes a visit to Arizona. If he doesn't, then I would expect him to go to Utah. Yeah, I'm glad you covered the Utah part because it seems like that's a heavy, heavy lean. And I, when I was reading your article, I thought, man, it's going to be tough to get him out of there, um, especially when he talked about the programs that he felt were, were more active with him. Um, yeah. Before we move on, Gabe, I know you've talked about this before. Tell us your take on on whether guys should be participating in camps or not. Uh, I mean, for me, I'm always a advocate of, of guys participating in camp. Uh, just gets you more exposure and kind of allows you to see where you are just as a player uh, outside of your own high school boundaries and whatnot. Um, for me, I'm also a person who I don't think a camp performance should necessarily hurt you. Uh, I, I'm just more of, I, I think that it shouldn't, yeah, it shouldn't hurt you in any way and it can only help you. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys. I'm not too fond on some of the guys who are like, oh, I don't want to get hurt and I don't want to go to camp and that's why I'm not doing it. I'm, you know, if, if there's some reasons that they don't do it and, you know, they're trying to just work out with their team, that's fine. But I'm always for anyone who wants to go out and compete and travel to all these camps and get out on the recruiting trail, meet coaches and talk with other guys. And uh, I think for a lot of guys, especially once they're committed, they're always doing recruiting recruiting for their own team uh we saw that a lot with Khalil Tate back in the day and uh he was always at all these satellite camps and talking up with all these southern California guys so I'm always for camps uh I think it's good for the players uh, as long as um you know uh, yeah I, I I see no downside for me personally all righty. Yeah, I just wanted to get that comparison and contrast in there. Uh, let's move on to the coaches poll. Uh, the, the Wildcats received two votes in the poll. Uh, this places them at number 49 in the nation. Uh, Kevin Sumlin isn't a voter, so he can't be the one who voted for the U of A. Uh, I remember a couple years ago we got some votes and there was a lot of uh, conspiracy theories about Rich Rod uh, voting for his own team. Um, uh, Pac-12 uh, favorite UW checks in at number six, Ferd at 13, and SC at 15. Uh, Gabe, does Arizona deserve the preseason votes? Yeah, I don't see why not. I'm, I'm in the belief that, one, they are able to compete for the Pac-12 South, and it's not like they aren't 
unproven. I mean, they've got some substance to them, and, and you kind of saw what they could do last season, and they're returning a lot of the guys. And I think at least for the preseason polls, you might as well give them a little bit of attention for, um, you know, just national sake of, you know, hyping up games and such. Well, this is the coach's poll. So I guess it kind of shows the amount of respect that uh, Arizona has received, uh, or I guess the attention that Khalil Tate has captured more so. Um, but yeah, I don't see why not. I think that uh, in this group, there's they, they could have probably received some more, but overall, I think that they can be a top, top 20 team consistently week in and week out once you start to get some wins and once there's movement within I have no problem with it. I don't think it's too early to start thinking about top 25. I think that, you know, two is, I mean, at least you're on the board and that's two more than ASU, but you're also (laughs) making your way in towards the top 25. And, you know, I I would have been okay if they even had, you know, a dozen or two more because, I mean, they're still – South Carolina has the most as other receiving votes, and they have 138. So, a uh, pretty pretty big difference between where Arizona is and I guess the 26th ranked team would be. So, I'm all for it. I see no, uh, you know, no harm in it, and I don't think it's too early to start talking about that. Uh, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people take these polls as you know, for what they're worth. Um, obviously it's hard to predict these things. If it was easy, we wouldn't have all these huge industries based around it, including the, the bright lights in Las Vegas. So, um, it's nice to get a little bit of attention and, and, uh, and have some optimism going into the season. Unfortunately, it isn't all good news. The 2018 roster was released and Tony Wallace is missing. It's rumored secondary to academic issues. Uh, the three-star sophomore was expected to compete for playing time at cornerback coupled with the, uh, also, possibly academic loss of three-star or apparently academic loss of three-star signee uh, Javon Hill, uh, who's now attending Arizona Western. The Wildcats have developed a bit of a depth issue at cornerback. Brandon, you alluded to this before. Break down our quarterback depth for us. All right. So uh, first off, it wasn't necessarily a shock uh, when Tony Walls just disappeared. Um you know, uh, Gabe and I talked about Gabe and I talked about this uh, even when he even when he signed. Um, he, you know, he uh, he just he's always had that academic issues. He actually sat out a year of high school because of it. Uh, and Gabe and I both believe that he would have had way more offers if uh, if his academics were in in, in a check because he was he was that talented. Um, so, it, but it wasn't necessarily a shock. He's had he's had academic uh, problems even since he he arrived on campus, um, and, and with Jevon Hill, the same thing. I uh, I don't necessarily talk about this type of stuff because it's not my place to to say this type of thing openly in public. Uh, but since it's happened, um, I you know academic issues are also the issue with Jevon Hill. And, uh, you know, he'll go to Arizona Western, hopefully get, get good to go and, and go to another school or even possibly come back. Who knows? But, um, with the depth, um, yes, you know, as I said before, there's really only four corners who've had a Pac-12 experience and that would be Malcolm Holland, Sammy Morrison. Um, and then obviously the, the studs at, uh, Whitaker and Burns. Um, and then behind them, um, 
you know, the, the Wildcats added Tim Huff, who is a grad transfer from UNLV. Um, and he had a great freshman year with the rebels, uh, kind of tapered off a little bit, um, you know, in his career. But if you actually watch, you know, some of the games that they had, I think, uh, Michigan last year, I believe he, he actually played really well. Uh, he probably was the only person on the UNLV defense that did play well. Um, but I think that he's a really solid pickup. He probably just jettisoned himself to the third best corner on the roster. Um, but I can, I can honestly say if Whitaker or Burns were to go down, um, you know, obviously we'd have Tim to come in, but after that, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, Azizi Hearn, um, has impressed the coaches and he's a walk on rich or fresh and walk on. Uh, I know he's impressed the coaches and he is serviceable, but you know, he doesn't have any pac 12 experience. So, um, you know, you just kind of hope and pray that Whitaker and Burns don't get hurt um, throughout the season. So, uh, I mean, Whitaker played with a with a jacked up foot all last year. So apparently, he can just he's just Iron Man. But um, you know, it's just something what uh, everyone's just going to have to monitor as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, uh, Whitaker is uh, you know came in with a pro football uh, focus. Uh, as the highest returning, um, highest graded returning player for the Wildcats in 85.4, uh, which puts him 28th among FBS cornerbacks in 2017. So, you know, I think we all feel like he's, you know, he's in Sharpie over at one spot. And, and despite Burns' early season challenges, I think, you know, he's going to step in and hopefully progress and, and nail down that other spot. But for a position where it really felt like we had a, we had a lot of, uh, potential competition, it, it, it dropped off uh, precipitously. As you did point out, there is the silver lining with picking up UNLV uh, grad transfer Tim Ho. Um, he's a 5'11", 195-pound cornerback. He was originally going to go to Oregon, so um, it's nice to steal somebody back from them after uh, Burmeister. Uh, but instead, he elected to spend his final year of eligibility at Arizona. Uh, in 29 games, uh, he started 17, and last season he had 19 tackles with one for loss. Uh, Gabe, why don't you break down Ho for us? Yeah, this is one. I'm, it's a pleasant surprise just because corners started kind of falling off one by one, and then you finally pick something up and get some good news there. I'm pleasantly surprised and opportunity optimistic um, with this one. I think, like Brandon said, he's going to be your number three corner, probably be rotating a lot. But in terms of how he plays, I think he's like a Chase Whitaker light. I think he kind of does a lot of the same things. Um, I think he's very much more of a lockdown kind of guy. and he's, He gets his hands on the ball and he's able to get himself in the right position. I think it's going to be a good pickup for Arizona. One, partially just because of the depth and you just need bodies at that point. You don't have a whole lot of options. And in case Lorenzo or Chase go down, you need somebody there. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm really happy with this pickup. I think it'll work out. And it's kind of surprising to see a grad transfer to Oregon, considering the depth that they have there. Um, they have Thomas Graham, and then they have a... a four-star corner i forgot his name but one of the best in the country and he's coming in and that's ron mckinley or something like that ron mckinley the fourth i think Um, yeah yeah so he's he's he was 
one of the top corners, and they'll be under Dante Williams, who's now up there. That's his fourth school in four years, I think. It's, he who shall not be uh, named. Yeah. <laughs> Can't break um, up family, man. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, and he's a four star and he's, and he's the fourth Gabe. How awesome is that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of surprised him to see that he would go up there trying to compete for playing time. So I think Arizona works out and for both parties and I'm really curious to see how that even happened or how late in the process this happened. But, uh, man, it's a good thing that they added him on the roster and, seems like he's sorting things out um, just to get admitted into his grad program. And so he's not practicing this week, uh, but someone said he'll likely be there next week. So uh, I think you're getting a really nice piece here. Someone who's experienced, he's had some, uh, some good moments as a freshman. I think he holds the interception record as a true freshman at UNLV or maybe in school history. I have no idea. I know it's one of the two. Um, and yeah, he's played in some big games against Michigan and uh, Michigan has some good receivers over there. So uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. And at worst, he's your third best corner. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to see this, but we have, we're really stacked in the safety position. So if we have to slide one of our more rangy safeties over to be essentially a slot uh, cover guy, I, I think we can probably pull that off. But on the outside, you want those guys that, that are doing that every single day. Uh, looks like the Cats may not be done racking up transfers. Uh, Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star tweeted that 2017 four star linebacker Santino Maracal. Mark Markial? Mark Markial. I, I have no idea. <laughs> he may be Markial. Santino, he, he him and uh, Chacho need to hang out, right? Exactly. <laughs> he, he may be transferring to Arizona. He's a six foot one, two hundred twenty pound um, linebacker who reset, uh, redshirted at Texas A and M last season after committing from IMG. Uh, he would join offensive lineman Robert uh, Congle from uh, Texas A and M who will both be sitting out of a season due to transfer rules. Brandon, tell us about these two transfers. Well, first of all, actually, personally, I don't think that Robert uh, Conjol is actually going to sit out because he was a walk-on at A&M. And oh, nice. so that's, and even though he's on scholarship here, he wasn't when he transferred. So I think that, I think he should be eligible. I just, Cautiously, kind of like Gabe, cautiously optimistic about that one. What, what was um, the name of the kid we got we got hosed on by the NCA committee that they would never rule when he was a walk on and didn't have a scholarship? Remember that, and they and they still held him uh, out for a year. That was uh, that was uh, Zach, Zach Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah, yeah we got hosed on was, that one. Yeah, but he actually had a scholarship at US, U, oh. USF, rather. So I think that might have been what their like <laughs> great logic was. Um, okay. But. Um, yeah, Robert. Uh, he actually played five games, you know, at A and M as as a walk on, and that's to do that in the SEC is rare. Um, so I think that's that's an attribute to his um, to his talent. Honestly, um, uh, he's going to add a lot of a lot of good depth, and he's going to add um, some uh, depth, not death. Um, <laughs> he's and he's going to add. Um, I think just a bit of talent and bring that experience from the SEC over. Uh, that's that's invaluable. Um, and and with Markial, I mean this this guy, uh, you know, I think what was it as early July, all the Texas A&M reporters were talking about like, um, 
you know, he's going to, he's going to compete. He's going to be, you know, probably like a starting linebacker for the Aggies, um, especially after registering last year, did an injury and then boom, drops a bomb that he's, that he's uh, transferring. And I believe he comes from the same, not just IMG, but like uh, both he and Conjol are from um, the Denver area in Colorado. So I think, and I think they're on the same uh, Cherry Creek high school. Um, so yeah, I believe they're the same. So they, you know, they know each other. So once I saw that he was uh, transferring, um, the the feeling was he was going to come to Arizona, and it seems like he is. Actually, if you look at his Instagram, his his profile says University of Arizona football. So I think it's just a matter of time before he gets added to the roster and, and is able to practice. There could be some like uh, grades transfers or something like that. You know, waiting for Texas A and M to send him over. Um, but I think that he's going to be just a, a beast. I mean, six one, two twenty. He may be bigger than that. If you actually look at him, he's just a jacked, well-built dude. Um, what you want in, in a in a linebacker? He could actually probably um, play middle linebacker. Honestly, is what I'm thinking. Um, but one thing I want to mention uh, with Robert Conjol, I actually talked to. Um, one of Arizona's biggest offensive lineman targets for 2019 and Michael Lynn, who's a from Cherry Creek high school as well in the Denver area. And he said that uh, the fact that Robert's actually playing at uh, Arizona caught his attention. And um, I mean, he already has a pretty good relationship with Joe Gilbert anyway, but um, he said that he would not mind playing with one of his really good friends again. Uh, so that's just something to keep an eye on as well. I mean, Arizona's already doing really well with, with Lynn, but so is Nebraska and Oklahoma state. And, um, if Oklahoma offers that might throw a wrench in it, but, uh, it's just something to keep an eye out. How's that Cherry Creek pipeline? Is that a, is that a big one to want to develop? I, I would say so. Cherry Creek's actually one of the best high schools in the state of Colorado. Um, they produce multiple power five prospects every year so that is definitely something that arizona should try to tap into and it looks like that they are well on their way to doing that awesome speaking of offensive lineman uh, rodquise cheney from uh houston texas has arizona in his final five teams he's also considering houston mizzou la tech and smu uh he's a six foot five 300 pound second team all district selection from alif elsick high school uh, Gabe, what do you see in this prospect? Uh, yeah, I mean, I really like him as a guard. I think he projects best there. Uh, I think he's probably just playing tackle at the high school level just because he's 6'4", 300. But for me, I personally like him as a guard. I think he's got that kind of mauler attitude in him and uh, kind of a big, strong dude that uh, I think – isn't at least when I compare him to Jordan Morgan, the current tackle commit, I don't think he's as athletic. And I don't know. I just don't think that, um, you know, the tackle skills are there. I think he's better as a guard and whether they're recruiting him as a tackle or a guard, I'm unsure of, but Arizona's pretty thin when it comes to guards. And I mean, personally, I don't, I don't mind if he plays either position just because I think he could play both, but I think he's better as a guard myself. Uh, but Arizona doesn't have a lot of guards, so I'm more, I guess, uh, keen on recruiting guards right now just because there are a lot of young tackles right now in the works. Uh, he took two in the last class with uh, Donovan and David Watson. 
and then uh, you have Jordan Morgan committed right now. So I won't mind him as a tackle. I do think guard is a little bit more pressing right now, and he could probably play both. But I like him overall as a prospect. I think uh, – actually, I think Brandon tweeted about him earlier today. He's like a top 50 recruit in Houston, um, which is a pretty big football uh, area, I would reckon. So <laughs> he's got he's got the talent, and I, I like that Mizzou. And Houston are are in his top five along with Arizona. Um, you know the hometown aspect uh, might be hard to draw away, and then Missouri, uh, I know, kind of draws a lot out of Texas as well. But um, you know, I think, think it could be something to watch there. And I'll take him as a tackle or guard, and he can kind of play on either side or either outside or inside. So something that I like, and uh, I think it's something to look into. Yeah, I think we really need to work on adding to our offensive line depth. I'm, I'm genuinely concerned in that regard. Well, I know the Tucsonans were feeling the shockwaves last weekend with all the booms dropping. Uh, the Wildcats and Coach Sumlin lit it up, lit it up with three commitments. Uh, first, the Cats added, uh, added Eddie Samau. Oh, help me out here, Brandon. Eddie? Sa- uh, Sal Mao. Sal Mao, a 6'3", 225-pound safety. Uh, at that size, he really brings a noise from the safety position. Tell me what you guys like about his film. Man, dude, this this kid is probably one of my favorite pickups in the class so far. He is just a na- – he is nasty. Um, he actually is like 6'3", 225, pushing around 230. So he's actually playing uh, linebacker. Um, and actually, if you if you go to the article on AZ Desert Swarm, you get to see his uh, his junior uh, sorry junior uh, season highlights where he's actually playing uh, you know rush end or stud, and uh, Arizona is actually bringing him in as such. But man, he's he's like just an aggressive, pretty solid tackler. Even when he grabs onto someone's uh, jersey leg, he doesn't let go. So that just tells you the type of like at least grip strength that he has. Um, and, uh, you know, number one player in American Samoa, it's, it's a place that Wildcat fans know well uh, with, um, you know, the, the Polynesian pipeline that Tomi had. Uh, Stoops grabbed some players from American Samoa. Um, some of the more, more recent ones, you know, Lene Mayava and uh, Ayalua Fanene. So it's, it's really important for Arizona to get back into that. But, uh you know, back to what he what he does. Um, he's probably one of the most aggressive players um, that's in Arizona's class. And think about that. Like watching his film gets me excited because you got Quabena Watson and Eddie Salmao, and like these two guys are just interchanging. I'll oh, just forget it. Like they're just gonna they're just gonna destroy offensive lines and just cause havoc in in you know Pac-12 quarterbacks. I can't wait to see these these two guys play. Nice. Um, the Cats followed up Eddie with a commitment from six foot two hundred eighty five pound cornerback Maurice Gaines Jr. from St. Thomas uh, More School in um, Sacramento, California. Some people call me Maurice. I really like Maurice Gaines. I love the size, and I think that's uh, kind of one of the top attributes you can look for in a corner to start with. He's pushing about 6'2", 190 right now, uh, and I, I really like his film. I think he is uh, uh, hes really interesting. He's very much 
you, you can kind of see the difference. He's ranked outside the top 1,000, so it's, it's very similar to like Logan Wilson, the former commit, um, and still has Arizona in play. You can definitely see a difference when you watch his film compared to somebody else where there's just something unique about him that you really like. And with him, with Maurice, what I really like is he's always looking into the backfield. He's looking at where the running back is, is if he's coming out into the flats or where the quarterback is looking. He's got a super high football IQ, I think. And when he sees the quarterback throwing the ball, he's going to get himself in position. It's like he knows exactly where the ball is going to be placed. The way he can read the trajectory is incredible. And he's already jousting with the, uh, with the receiver and kind of putting – it's like he's a, a tight end – and a power forward where, you know, they just kind of box the, the guy out and uh, he's going up and making a play on the ball. And so for me, I'm really excited to see what he can do in Arizona. I think he's uh, a future number one corner for Arizona uh, once he comes on campus and it'll be Lorenzo Burns entering maybe his senior year by the time he is on campus, if my math adds up. Um, uh, he'll be heading into his, uh, sorry, redshirt junior year. Okay. Perfect. So he's got a year with Lorenzo and I think he'll probably be that number two then. And, uh, you know, probably overtake, uh, the number one spot eventually. And so I'm really excited for him. I think he's one of the, one of the best corners out there on the market right now on Arizona's board. And I'm pretty excited about that commitment. So that's a good one in my books. Yeah, sorry about that Gabe. I didn't give you a chance to talk about Eddie. What do you think about his film? Oh man, I I love Ed. I oh man, to put to think about both these two guys. So, um, so Eddie is a two star by rivals and rank, not even ranked by a lot of services outside of the top fifteen hundred. One of the lowest ranked commits for Arizona, but I love the way he plays and like Brandon said, just he's an aggressive guy and he reminds me a lot of Tony Fields. Just. Uh, an ultra athletic kind of guy, although he's got a lot more size to him. Tony, I think, was 6'1, 200 pounds coming out of high school. Um, and Eddie's already 6'3, 220 ish. So uh, he's got the size. And I, I mean, really, you could play him anywhere. You could play him at weak side, you could play him at stud or at, uh, you know, probably Spur or Bandit if you needed him to. So really just an ultra versatile piece. And I love his athleticism. And I think he's going to be a good player at Arizona. And uh, obviously, this also opens up that poly pipeline that, uh, you know, you wish had been kind of tapped into the last few years under Rich. So uh, this one I'm pretty excited about. And, uh, yeah, Gaines and Eddie are two of my top commits for sure of this class. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the poly commit um Brant, um, Gabe, I think that it's it feels funny not having having that pipeline of flowing to Arizona. So it feels natural. It feels it feels good. It feels like it's it's part of our. You know, we we don't have a ton of traditions at Arizona football, uh, but one of the good ones we do have is that, and, and I I really look forward to reestablishing that. Um, and this is a um, some good progress we're making in that regard. So, Brandon, uh, what do you think about Mo Gaines? Some people call me Maurice. So with Mo, I, I agree with Gabe. He's definitely one of the best cornerback prospects on Arizona's board, and I think. Um, kind of like with Eddie, I think that Arizona is getting an absolute steal with this guy. Um, 
you know, he's prepping over in Connecticut at St. Thomas More for a year. So he's going to come in. He's going to have all his eligibility, but he's going to get another year better uh, and more mature. And, I mean, you already watched his film, and the, the guy is just – automatic when it comes to playing corner he really knows what he's doing um he has the he has the talent to be like a no kidding game changer um so um and and in my opinion having him ranked where he is is just criminal uh same thing with with eddie i think it's just criminal um but you know it's it's to arizona's benefit so like i can't really complain too much um, I just think that there may, be, uh, and I, I honestly don't have any concerns with, with Mo when it comes to, uh, any other schools coming in with offers. He really has a great relationship with, with, uh, coach Martin. Um, you know, uh, he was quietly on commitment watch for me if he came for a, uh, a visit. So, um, when I found out that he did come for a visit and then, you know, or he was coming for a visit and then he's, you know, tweeted out that, you know, he's going to make his commitment the next day. I'm like, well, I know what's going to happen here. So, um, I just pre pre wrote the article and got that one ready. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I, he's probably one of the, the, you know, one of the best defensive commits that we have in this class right now. Nice, nice. Um, I love, you got to love the size, right? I mean, it, you know, from Rich Rod's five foot eight slot wide receivers ad nauseum to, you know, we've got we've got a you know large outside wide receivers uh, size in our cornerbacks and in our secondary and our and our and our spur. That's a, that's a great thing to see. That's something that's really been lacking in the program. So the Cats wrapped up the weekend by land, landing Chris Rowland. He's a six foot, hundred eighty pound athlete out of William Knight High School in Palmdale, California. Um, do you guys see him transitioning to cornerback at Arizona? What do you, what do you think, Gabe? Uh, I mean, for me, he's got a lot of film, and I thought that he works best as a wide receiver. Personally, um, for corner, I mean, he, he looks like he even played more safety. There's not a whole lot of corner film that he has available. So for me, I, I like him as a wide receiver, but wide receiver, what, it's an interesting position right now because there's a lot of young guys because Rich really – ignored it for the last few years and then loaded up these past two years so there's quietly a lot of guys there but not at that kind of elite level that you would like to have where you can kind of pick out your go-to guy you have trey adams and marcus thomas and those guys are are two big pieces going forward um but as a wide receiver that just kind of crowds things up and you hope that someone and grant Gunnell can pull in another wide receiver uh particularly a top 300 guy overall uh, or Kaheem Waleed, hopefully. Um, but in terms of corner, I'm a little hesitant. I mean, he's, he's definitely athletic and, you know, athleticism can translate well into corner, but there's just not a lot of film on him there. He's more of like a free safety in, in high school. And um, I mean, at worst though, he is a punt returner. He has a lot of good film as a punt returner and, uh, a lot of elusiveness, and that's also why I think that he's better at a wide receiver spot. But for me, corner, I guess it'll be wait and see. And, you know, you hope that uh, Coach Martin sees something in him that he can, uh, you know, extract from him and, and get him as a, as a rotational guy. But for me, I'm still holding out hope 
for Logan Wilson to recommit. Um, and then hopefully, uh, you know, maybe you take three corners because of the lack of depth. So, uh, it's in Chris Roland is definitely an interesting one. Maybe you wait on, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll play it out till signing day, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the special teams. Uh, you know, I notice on the film there's a lot of guys that have that versatility that they, they have the a lot of uh, punt or kickoff returns on their film, so it shows their overall athleticism. I liked his film. He looked he looked big and athletic to me. But how how uh, Brandon? How tough is the competition that he's playing there? Because he he looked like he was. Uh, the most physically imposing guy on the field in most of his film. I, I thought maybe I wondered maybe if his competition wasn't quite as tough. I mean, well, he's definitely the best athlete on the field. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I mean, he's not in like a big, big, big Southern California uh, division, but he's playing some pretty decent competition. But um, un- so kind of like Gabe, I, when I, when I watched his film, and I know you and I have also talked about it, Dax, that like he, you know, when I watched him, I was like, oh, I like him better as a wide receiver. He's just more natural. He looks more comfortable. Um, and then, the, but the more and more I watch his film, the more I can see what uh, he can be um, and what he actually brings to being a corner or safety um, or, just, you know, just DB in general. Like he, he uses his skills as a wide receiver to, you know, and he translates that over to uh, the defensive side, and it helps him actually make plays on the ball. Uh, like the very first, uh, like he actually has a, uh, a a highlight reel of just cornerback clips. You know, of him playing corner, and and uh, the very first play was just just a, a heck of a play on the ball. Like he just kind of like dove in front of the receiver away from him, and and made the interception at like the three yard line. So that that that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you want to see in a cornerback. So, um, you know, I trust, I trust Demetrius Martin enough to, you know, like what he sees in him if he's bringing him in as corner. And when I spoke to, uh, Roland a couple months ago, he actually stated that Arizona was recruiting him in, uh, rec- recruiting him as such. So, um, you know, it's, it's, he's going to, he's a project. He's going to need a little time to develop, but I think once he does, his athleticism uh, coupled with, you know, his, his newfound skills when he gets here um, should make him actually a pretty solid and, and dangerous corner uh, once he's, once he's good to go. But, you know, we'll have to see how that all plays out. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, there's been quite a bit of hype about the Matt Hayes article uh, on Bleacher Report. Um, this is an article that strings together an interview with Khalil Tate to some quotes from uh, university president, Robert Robbins to basically imply Khalil Tate and his now infamous tweet, uh, lost Ken Niamatololo. That one I don't need help with, Brandon. (laughs) The coaching job at the U of A. Um, I don't know why people struggle with that one. That one seems so intuitive to me. Um, So I know both you guys jumped on Twitter. Uh, There was a pretty big storm kicked up on Arizona social media about this. Um, Obviously, it's a very interesting um, concept. And, um, you know, my take is that my big take is the article uh, implied some things that may or may not have happened. And we'll probably never have controversy or uh, confirmation of of anything that really happened. But but I felt like the the author was taking some liberties. Gabe, why don't you tell us what you think about the controversy? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's pretty interesting just because you know we'll we'll never really know um, what exactly happened. But for me, I guess with the way the article is framed, I guess with Khalil Tate, you know, taking down the whole search with Ken, I'm okay with the whole players having a voice for for this situation. Um, you know, I think it is interesting because it's kind of an odd situation where you have a Heisman caliber game changing player with a head coaching job that is open. So it's a very rare situation as well, where, you know, it might not happen a whole lot where you have this type of player or this type of talent where they're able to have this say, but for me, it makes sense. I, I mean, I guess I wasn't on board for Ken, uh, especially when you had Kevin Sumlin rumblings all over the place. Um, That was obviously the number one choice just for all aspects of winning now. Um, But, I mean, Khalil Tate is the guy in the locker room. Everyone looks to him. He is the voice of the team. So I think he was just expressing his teammates' thoughts as well as his own. I mean, for, for the triple option, whether he would have ran it here as well, or you know, just kept a, some sort of a read option or a spread system. I, I don't know, but for me, I'm I'm all I'm all for it. I think you know, the the dynamic of the team was really interesting at the time because everyone on defense wanted Marcel Yates to be the head coach or at least be retained in some capacity as the defensive coordinator, and so they wanted him. The offense, I mean, not a lot of guys would want to play the triple offense, even if or if that was the case. And, you know, nobody really, yeah, it's just not, it's not a system that guys dream of playing in and that gets them to the league. And um, so I think that would have really caused a rift between the team and, and kind of the administration side of things. So Kevin Sumlin was just kind of the clear choice. It was kind of a happy medium. You're getting an elite-level coach. Um, with a whole lot of success behind him, and then you're keeping Marcel Yates on defense. It, it just all makes sense putting it all together, and Arizona was able to make things happen for someone to come here. Um, but, I mean, it, it, for me, what's really interesting, I guess the, mo- the most interesting part is that this is all kind of being curated like seven months after the fact that this tweet was sent out, um, not necessarily like, that week when all the coaching hiring was happening. I'm, I'm just really interested in the timing of it and why it finally became something like seven months later. But that's my take. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting that you put it in the context of Kevin Sumlin, because I don't think anyone would have disagreed that Kevin Sumlin would have been the number one choice. Uh, you know, the overwhelming majority would have taken someone far and away number one. So that context, I think, is really important. And in retrospect, obviously, now that we have someone, it seems like a no-brainer. But I think at the time, there wasn't a lot of belief that that was going to happen with the concerns about being able to meet his his requirements. And, and, it, and it appears that it was more related to his assistant coach's salaries as opposed to his own since he took uh, Texas A&M to the cleaners. But um, 
at the time, and I don't want to kill the podcast just a few into it, but I would have been perfectly okay with Ken uh, Niamatololo, and I actually would have been okay with the triple option. But here's my question back to you, Gabe. You pointed out that kids don't want to run the triple option because it's not going to get them to the league. But Rich Rod was notorious for not getting guys to the league. So what would be the difference? Yeah, no, that that is that is a very fair point. I think uh, with Rich Rod, I, a lot of it would just be off of his reputation of Pat White and Steve Slayton. Um, and his West Virginia days and just having that high tempo offense and you have wide receivers who, you know, are running the spread and uh, it's just more spaced out in the vertical game. And I don't know that that is a very fair point. Um, and that is kind of the knock on, on rich and my personal knock. I don't necessarily think it was the level of talent he brought in. I just think there was little to no development between any of his position groups that he had over six years and, um, you know, just couldn't get guys to the league and the guys that were league bound ended up falling hard, uh, hard in the draft boards and for whatever reason. So that is a very good point. And I'm going to have to think about that one tonight for sure. That's, that's, uh, man, that's gonna, that's gonna keep me up just thinking about that. (laughs) Mind blown. Um, you know, I, I would, I would say you kind of countered it by saying, listen, the spread is more, uh, evolving into a pro style game to where no one's going to be running the the flex bone. So, you know, I think you could reasonably make that argument. And, And obviously Pat White and Steve Slayton were, were, you know, sort of the halcyon days for, uh, Rich Rod. So I think those are all pretty fair counters. Um, Brandon, what do you think about all those shenanigans? Uh, I think it's exactly that. Just shenanigans. I mean, I don't even think it's a controversy. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's bleach report trying to make something out of nothing. I um, totally agree. Yeah. Just like Gabe, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with a player voicing his opinion. I mean, fans get to do it we're not even playing for the guy i mean we talk amongst ourselves sometimes we openly say it but like we're not playing for him um so why can't the players um and and um i i agree like there's nothing wrong with with ken uh, nui matalolo i uh, i think he's a great guy he's a great coach i just don't think that his style of play would would fit tucson you know or and fit arizona um I think it was time for, uh, I mean, for really lack of a better term, an offensive change. Um, even if he would have come here um, and ran a spread, I think, I don't know if people necessarily would have wanted that anymore, you know. Um, they saw, you know, they had what, what, was six years of it with Rich Rod, um, and they saw the ebb and flow of that, that, that joy, um, you know. So I think this new style of offense uh, with with Noel Mazzoni and Kevin Sumlin is exactly what Tucson needs. It's exactly what the the program needs. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I just think that as as good of a coach as as Ken is, I just don't think it was a right fit for Arizona. So I think um, Khalil did the best thing for his teammates, um, and I, I personally think that. Uh, Hiki and and Robbins did the best thing for the program. 
Yeah, and and you make an excellent point. It can be win-win. It's not like Tate went in there and said, you know, my way or the highway. And it's not like, uh, you know, it's refreshing to see that that a guy like Robbins takes the medical model of integrating patient feedback into the into the healthcare system. So it's not so uh, paternalistic. Um, but there's give and takes on those. Sometimes, you know, a young man like Tate. Uh, my analogy would be that w- that would be like asking the the best marksman. Um, you know, who should be the, the company commander. I mean, certainly their input's mm-hmm. valuable and, and you want to utilize them to their top ability, but maybe they don't quite have the perspective and experience. That doesn't mean their input's not useful. So it can be a win-win situation. It's not, it's not like um, it, it has to be lose-lose. And I think it's kind of sad and, and reflects on potential past situations where the thought that, it's, that asking one of the student-athletes for their opinion about something is somehow deemed to be uh, revolutionary, as the author, <laughs> I think, went into full hyperbole implying. Uh, but, but I think you guys all make really good points about it, <laughs> and it's a really... I think it's a fascinating subject. Um, it's kind of neat that there's some positive uh, aspects of the football program coming out with the, the bad uh, PR we've had of, of late with the program. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and I, I think that, you know, this is something that, that overall is good. And as you point out, is probably amounts to a whole lot of nothing. So, um, so very interesting um, situation. I'd like to throw a shout out to High C uh, for making the NCAA.com's 13 best college parks. Uh, not only are the sunsets stunning, but you can have a beer with your hot dog, which is the best change ever in college baseball. Speaking of Arizona baseball, how awesome was it to have Arizona alum uh, Trevor Hoffman elected to the Hall of Fame? What do you think, Brandon? I actually think it's pretty pretty awesome. I mean, um, uh, man, I remember... You know, being a D-backs fan and him playing for the San Diego Padres, I dreaded him coming in, uh, you know, uh, because that usually meant that the D-backs didn't have a chance to come back. Um, so I think it, it's it's a, a great reflection on Arizona baseball um, and a great reflection on, on the university. And, and honestly, just the, the Trevor earned it. I mean, he worked his tail off in the MLB. He had a, a phenomenal career. And um, I think it's just well-deserved on his part. How about you, Gabe? Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. That's big time for the program. And, uh, you know, one step closer to, to building, you know, a baseball empire here and uh, continuing to win championships and using that as a selling point. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. That's big time. And, you know, the day that Arizona gets someone in the Hall of Fame for football, that's that's gonna be a happy day. So I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I appreciate it and I uh, appreciate Arizona. And man, it's a good thing. Yeah, hashtag MLB training ground. So um, I think Jay Johnson's really uh, cooking with gas now. Uh, well, heads up uh, for all the Wildcats out there that the red blue game tickets are going to go on sale August 18th. So that's like uh, throwing a cow in an Amazon river. The piranhas are all over it. So uh, make sure you're ready for that. If you want to get in, in and on in that action, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I apologize for not getting this uh, out sooner to you and to our listeners, uh, but we should be able to, uh, stay pretty consistent through uh, fall ball and uh, into the kickoff and throughout the season. So looking forward to it and bear down. Hey, bear right. down. Bear down, baby.